is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a weekly-ish movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com, including our other podcasts at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts. And you can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. And sponsor for this week, once again, is Horror Movie Yearbook, a horror movie podcast that takes a few different um, movies from the same – horror movies from the same release year and reviews them and contextualizes them with the year of releases, pop culture, and current events of the year. Uh, you can find them at HM Yearbook on Twitter and at HorrorMovieYearbook.com. And uh, thank you once again to Horror Movie Yearbook and to the Midwest Podcast Network for sponsoring our podcast here. So tiny. Yeah, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. No good. good, very good. We've we've kind of had a a bit of a hiatus, I guess would, would Yeah, that'd be a fair word. word. Yeah. Just, you know, life, man. Right, life uh uh finds a way. To not record podcasts. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just it, it I do apologize for both the listeners here and listeners of anthology and um, Tower Junkies. I had to think about what that what that <laughs> podcast was called. What's that other podcast called? Yeah. That we do? Um. Yeah, I do apologize, guys, because it's just been crazy busy with you know regular real life stuff. Oh my god, I'm yawning. I'm yawning. This is how out of practice I am. <laughs> um, I'm yawning. Okay, so yeah, it's just been crazy busy and stuff. Um, yeah. So anyway. Uh, today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Ready Player One, uh, the latest Steven Spielberg movie, um, adapted from Ernest Klein's uh, novel of the same name, and we will talk about that shortly, but first we have some news to go through, um, briefly. Um, Tiny, uh, two things I have on the docket. The first one probably won't, uh, necessitate much conversation, but, um... Or won't bring out much conversation, but uh, it was announced that Bruce Willis is going to have a celebrity roast on Comedy Central. So, two questions. One, do you, where do you land with like Comedy Central roasts nowadays? Like they were pretty big a while ago, but they're not really in the zeitgeist right now. Yeah, they kind of, um, kind of fell out of favor, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why. I enjoy them quite a bit because I, I like the shock humor, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have a, a certain uh, – I relish them to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but uh, I, I can't say I'm especially excited about Bruce Willis's right. roast. It's kind of an odd choice. It is. Um, because he's famous – for being talented, I feel like you roast somebody who kind of sucks. <laughs> sure. Or I mean, well, not necessarily. It's just like you kind of like. I think of the roasts that I've seen over the years, like they roasted Trump and Pamela Anderson and Flavor Flav, and it's like they're all famous for being kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I don't see Bruce Willis in that way. Uh, I can I can definitely understand that. Also, like just, he's a talented actor. I mean, yeah. 
Also, I just think it's funny that your examples, um, it's just like you're, you know, they're famous for being ridiculous. And one of them's the leader of the free world. Yeah, he is. Jesus Christ. Anyway, oh, yeah. um, yeah, and, and also, I kind of feel like I, granted, I don't, obviously, I don't know Bruce Willis. Um, <laughs> don't know <laughs> Bruno. Okay, okay, first of all, is Bruno short for Bruce? Is that like a nickname that's that's common? I don't know. I don't think so. Okay, because I've heard people refer to him as Bruno, I think. Really? I th- Yeah. Maybe it is. You might be right. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I always thought so. But anyway, um, if anyone knows, let let us know. But, yeah. Um, if only there were a way we could like look it up ourselves. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. If there were like an encyclopedia machine. Mm. No, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I was... I was gonna. I I wanted to tweet this today, but I didn't want it to sound ridiculous. I already couldn't figure out the wording to make it not sound as ridiculous. But the tweet was gonna be something something like, uh, surprisingly, it wasn't podcasts that made him world renowned and rich beyond his wildest dreams. It was when Matt created Whiskerpedia, the Wikipedia for cats, <laughs> that damn. brought his fortune. <laughs> oh my god. Um. So anyway. Um, wow. That would have been worded really well. I might actually tweet that <laughs> tomorrow. Actually, Wikipedia is like a not-for-profit organization. It's like the guy who invented Wikipedia is not a millionaire. Or oh, shit. That's, well, there goes that. So I guess I'm not going to... Really glad you didn't tweet that. Yeah, yeah. You would look like such an idiot now. I would, I uh, would look like an idiot who could only get Pizza Dad on his, on his bowling ball and not Pizza Daddy. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, uh, so so yeah, uh, Bruce Willis. I, I mean, granted, I don't. You know, honestly, I don't. Obviously, I don't know him, but I don't uh, like. Uh, I mean, I know him from his iconic roles and everything, but like recently, the the most recent thing I can think of pertaining to him really is uh, the whole Kevin Smith thing, where he was Kevin Smith was talking about how much of a pain he was to work with. Right. And um, kind of that back and forth. But I kind of get the impression that I don't I don't really know if Bruce Willis has that as much of a sense of humor about himself right. as some of the other people. That's true. That which have been which could make it interesting. Yeah, true, true. But whatever. Yeah. But I don't know. I've never really been into the roasts, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. the, the earlier ones of this, or I guess not necessarily earlier ones, but the... When they, when these recent ones were getting, uh, big enough, like when they first started, um, I, I was kind of into them, but I just, I've never really sat, I think it was around like when s- they did one for Steve O, I think. I was just like, eh, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. The Bob Saget one was pretty good. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the Bob Saget one. It was classic. Yeah. But again, like Bob Saget, he's a person that's made his entire career based around, <laughs> How, uh, how, um, how opposite his sense of humor is to what he's most known for. Right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so I don't know when that's going to air, but I don't, I don't know if we'll watch it. Yeah. I'll watch it. And then to round out news for this episode, um, the trailer was released for the movie, the Meg. Uh, Yes, it was. Yes. Starring Jason Statham. And a big ass shark. Um, Tiny, what'd you think of the trailer? 
Um, it looks like, you know, popcorn trash. Mm. Uh, but like, I think in a good way, like, I think I'm going to watch it and be like, oh my God, they did that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, any, any trailer where any movie where you have, Jason Statham talking about like science. <laughs> Good God, it's a megalodon! Like, really? How does he know what a megalodon is? He can. I don't know. It's just. I. It, I think it looks like fun. Yeah, it does. It does look like fun. Um, uh, Patreon subscriber Robert he uh, posted it on the Facebook group, which you can go to at facebook.com/slash/theobsessiveviewer. Um, the Meg does look like it'll be pretty fun. Um, I agree. Jason Statham as a scientist presumably is uh is kind of hilarious casting and and uh those types of those types of movies that are clearly just popcorn fun stupid action movies um those are what i'm kind of all about so i'm looking forward to that rain wilson looks like it's he's going to be fun in it as the um comic relief and i just remembered something <laughs> uh some another piece of news to bring up um, so yeah, so that's the Meg trailer. I'll put the link in the show notes and everything. Tiny, to round out no, round out nose, to round <laughs> out news officially. Did you hear about T.J. Miller? T.J. Miller? <laughs> uh, no. Okay, well, strap in because this is going to be interesting. Um, so as you know, he left um, Silicon, Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley. Yes, and apparently it was like the mutual, like there's said to be a mutual thing, but I think the rumor is that he was, you know, difficult to work with and everything. Okay. And apparently, I haven't seen the latest season, but apparently the writers are working really hard to just trash him and his character. Really? Yeah. Like, uh, I guess there's, there's, uh, I, I, it would go into spoilers to say what I heard, but apparently it's. Um, not like a secret that the that the writers are bitter about it. Huh. Um, yeah, but he, um, where to begin? He Monday night. We're recording this on Tuesday. Monday night, he was arrested for a uh for a um for a fake bomb threat that he made on a train. Damn. Or uh, a fake bomb accusation. The story goes that that back in March, he was on a train. He called 911 and said that there was a woman with, like, brown hair and a black scarf that was eyeing her purse very very, uh, suspiciously. Okay. And he thought that she had a bomb and that she was going to kill everyone. And uh, then, I guess, an, an investigator called him back. After he called nine one one, and uh, he gave a completely different description, hmm. and then it turned out that he wasn't even on the same train as the one that he was calling about. It's all very confusing, and like it's alleged that, or like like the it's um, investigators suspect that he was inebriated. Um, huh. which I mean, I've been drunk in my day. Yeah, never drunk enough to. You know, fake a bomb. calling a bomb threat. Yeah, yeah, me. Either. Um, yeah. So it's very weird. Like he, uh, um, he was arraigned yesterday or last night or maybe this morning. I don't know, but released on a hundred thousand dollar bail or bond. Jeez. Yeah. Um, and if convicted, he could face like the maximum for that particular um crime is five years in prison. 
Jeez. Yeah, which I don't, I mean, he's a celebrity. I don't know if he'll, if that'll happen, but right. like that's the maximum that he's facing. It's just like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> damn. Like, uh, like I was sitting, oh, okay, so I went on my lunch break today and I was like browsing the internet and I was like, Oh, T.J. Miller clicked it, and it's like this is not what I was expecting to read yeah. <laughs> today at all. Right? It's very weird. Very weird. That is weird. Yeah. So, and like he's a he's a like he's a weird guy. He's he's a very weird guy. Yeah. And it's funny for the most part. But like, like reading that, I kept thinking like, like okay, one of my one of my one of, one of the anecdotes that I like about like showbiz and everything is how he had. Um, how he got the role on, uh, was it Yogi Bear as the <laughs> park ranger because he sent in an audition tape with him in a park ranger uniform talking to an actual bear. Yeah. Zoo. I've seen it. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's hilarious. And then he has a bit that he did on like Conan or something where I think it was him where he was talking about how he, uh, oh, how he got his driver's license photo. Yeah. And it's like, it's ridiculous. And like he went through, he went through like it's this goofy face, but he had to, like use the goofy face like throughout the entire day when he was at the at the BMV or something mm-hmm. um to to make it legit but like like those isolated are funny but like reading this now it's like maybe this isn't like just for comedy maybe right. there's something like really fucked up with them oh man so it's it's kind of it's kind of weird it's it's just a weird piece of news but totally yeah so hopefully Hopefully it works out for him, I guess. I don't I don't know. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I hope so. Yep. But anyway, um Yeah, so that that's news for, for this week. And yeah, Tiny, I guess we're gonna dive right into our review then yes. of Ready Player One. Now, have you read the book? Oh, I read the fuck oh, out okay. of it. Okay. Nice. When did you read it? Uh about four years ago. Oh wow. Three, four years ago, yeah. Damn, that's it is phenomenal. Nice. Do you remember much about it? Uh, yeah, I do. Okay, good. I do. Uh, I haven't read it. I've said for the last probably four years that I would read it before the movie came out, but also said I'd release some podcasts. But yeah, um, I read it on the recommendation of our co-host Mike. Oh, Mikey! I think it's one yeah. of his favorites. It is. Yeah. By the way, Mike's band, uh, as good as it gets, just released a new song called "Back at You." Uh, which is really great, and the video is adorable. So check that out at uh, uh, just Google as good as it gets banned and uh, look them up on Facebook and everything. I'll put links in the show notes. So anyway, uh, yeah, so I know that he was a huge fan of Ready Player One, and I was very intrigued by it, um, but I didn't get around to reading it, which I'm kind of glad because I, can, I used to be one of those guys that had to read the book before the movie and just because 99% of the time the book is better than the movie. But I'm kind of feeling it more that I'm feeling myself sway more toward the watch the movie first so that you can get that so that their interpretation of the story can surprise you. So I'm not like sitting there for two hours thinking like, oh, that's different from the book. That's different from the book. That's mm-hmm. different from the book. But yeah, so anyway, I'm glad that I didn't read it before I saw it. Um, now, Tiny, you saw it with friend of the show Matt and Draco. Sure did. How how'd that go? It was good. It was good. Nice. Uh, it's also one of Matt's favorites. It is. Yes, he's. Yeah. It, uh, I've been talking to him quite a bit over the last month, several months. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very, he was very worried. He was uh, he was very worried, and uh, when he messaged me after 
after he saw it, um, I made sure to say that I was glad that they didn't dark tower it for him. Yeah. Um, cause he, he liked it. Right. That they did yeah. not. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I, and unfortunately I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't go with you guys. So sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, you should be. Um, yeah, well, I, I saw a quiet place instead. So. By the W. Yes. We saw, I hope I'm not jumping the gun here, but we saw it at the Brownsburg movie theater. Yes. That might become my go-to because oh, really? a matinee was $6. Oh, nice. I feel like a little, like even huh. if you go to like Trader's Point or whatever, mm-hmm. um, a matinee is still like 10, really? nine yeah, and a half, 10 about. bucks. Yeah. So it's like, I'm cheap and that's nice. Yeah. And that's, um, I don't remember what it's called. Like what's the, the, the company is oh yeah um it's something like goodrich goodrich i believe isn't it okay yeah um yeah which i i've been to that theater once i saw what was that movie called with liam blended we saw blended there did we oh we did see blended we saw blended there and then i saw nonstop there um i think it was nonstop Uh, liam neeson on a train um yeah yeah, and you know it's it's a nice theater. I'm so I'm I'm kind of uh kind of sold by I've been seeing it it's uh, I've seen, been seeing movies at Southern Plaza on the south side oh, of okay. Indy and uh really that and Trader's Point are my go-to because they're AMC theaters and I mm. have the stubs. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Which when I saw um uh Ready Player 1, I got there early and I was able to um Use some of my Stubbs rewards for a free soft drink. That's nice. Yes, it was good. Um, very nice. Very good. Anyways, I just thought that was mentionable. Anyway, nice. That's cool. Um, let's see. Do they have reserved seats? Um, jeez, no. Oh, okay. Do they have reclining seats? No. Oh yeah, I'm never going there. <laughs> I like literally. I can't. I yeah. I can't go to the theater that doesn't have reserve reserve seating and reclining seats anymore. Right. It's just right. It's too. It's too good. But you can save three and a half dollars. Or I could be comfortable in a seat <laughs> that I really like. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, did I tell you about? I don't remember if I said this on the podcast. Did I tell you about going to Keystone Art uh, months ago? Uh, I went and saw Call Me By Your Name. Okay. Um, and like, you'll, you'll remember this. Keystone Art was like my favorite theater in the city. Right, right. For many years. Uh, like it has a nice bar, um, has a good atmosphere, plays, uh, um, kind of art house movies that don't get wide releases and everything. And they do midnight screenings, all great stuff. Um, and <laughs> this is years ago. I would think, oh man, these seats are like the most comfortable seats theater seats in, in Indy. Mm-hmm. Um, but ever since like Regal and, and, uh, and AMC upgraded their reclined seats. Like when, when I saw call me by your name, I w- like, I was uncomfortable the entire time Wow, because the seat was so like, it was not comfortable anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, yeah, it was. Uh, so even that, like I I'm, can't, it's not my favorite theater anymore. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Anyway, Anyway, that's enough talking about movie theaters in Indianapolis. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so, what were your expectations going into Ready Player One? Um, I I feel like the book is kind of like an epic book. It's, um, yeah, it's like this whole universe, and it's you know, it's the the 
I don't know. It, it feels very, uh, it feels very epic to me, the book. And so I, mm-hmm. I was like, man, that's going to be very difficult to capture, uh, in a movie. And, and there's like a pretty, a pretty solid timeline in the, in the book that's, mm-hmm. you know, a handful of months long. And like, and there's all these, all this licensing that has to happen because yeah. there's so many references to eighties franchises and, and, uh, and, uh, licenses and, whatever all mm-hmm. that all that business stuff and i was right. like there's no way they're going to be able to pull that off how they're going to get around that what are they going to mm-hmm. do and i was just i almost had like when when they're talking about making the movie i had like kind of almost low expectations because okay. i was like they're just i just don't think they're going to be able to pull it off cuz the book's so great mm-hmm. and then i was like and then they got steven spielberg and i was like Okay, <laughs> this needs to be really good then. If it's Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. I remember there originally uh, there were rumors that Christopher Nolan was going to do it, and I was like, "Oh my oh, that god, been, that would have been huh, incredible." That would have been interesting. I, I don't think, I don't know if he would have been a good fit for it because, again, there is so much licensing, and yeah. you kind of have to CGI a lot of this, mm-hmm. you know, you can't really and he likes his practical right. effects so I I don't know if it would have been a good fit for him yeah. necessarily. Also, tonally it kind of seems like something that wouldn't really fit his sensibilities as a filmmaker in term, or in uh, his sensibilities as as storyteller really right? because, I mean, he's I, he hasn't done anything that's as arguably I don't know if I want to say lighthearted because I don't know if that's really the correct term. Yeah. But something that is as fun as as Ready Player One is. Right. And like as uh, uh, that's as much um, fun spectacle. Okay. Yeah. 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 True. Uh, So yeah, once once all the news came out about it and it was getting ready to release, I, I had kind of kind of moderately high expectations for it. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, this is Spielberg. This is based on a great book. Um, they need to bring it for this. So I had kind of, kind of moderately high expectations. Nice. Yeah. Nice. How about you? Um, you know, honestly, I had been saying for years that I would read the book, but I never did. And then, uh, so like kind of in the lead up to it, I, I kind of felt like I was excited about it because I didn't know anything about it, really any specifics. Um, that, and like the trailers didn't, the trailers were, were interesting to me just from pure spectacle, um, and everything. And I was intrigued by it because like, I love pop culture and everything. So it seemed like it would be really interesting to me. Um, but it's like, the more I saw the trailers, the more I was just like, okay, well, it looks like it'll be fun, but I wasn't, it wasn't like at the top of my most anticipated Right. or anything. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, I was, I was excited for it and I was excited for like Matt and for fans of the book to see it. And I was cautiously excited for them because I know what it's like to have something you cherish destroyed in a movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So, I mean, I was, I was kind of, I had, I had, uh, moderate expectations for it. Gotcha. Um, and I ended up seeing it in uh, at Trader's Point, like I said, and I had, it was a Sunday kind of matinee um, uh, because, like, uh, the reason I didn't go with you guys is because I had plans to go see A Quiet Place. And, uh, and then, 
oh, that's another thing. That that's the interesting thing. So, um, I we had one of our listeners on the Facebook group, um, Biz, requested that we do a review of it um, with one person that has a that has read the book and one that hasn't. Um, and like, I was like, okay, well, yeah, we should we should definitely do that, obviously. And this was like last week. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll have to check it out sometime during the week, you know? Right. So, like, I, um, like my friend who I see movies with, I was like, hey, do you want to go see Ready Player One sometime this week? And she was like, well, uh, yeah, let me know the times and everything. So I looked up the times, and throughout the week, um, there was one 2D screening every day at, at the theater. And that was at 9 p.m. And I'm like, okay. Wow. <laughs> I'm not going to go to a two-and-a-half-hour movie at 9 p.m. on yeah. a work night. And I was so annoyed because all the other screenings were uh, either IM- digital IMAX or digital IMAX 3D or real D 3D. Yeah. And then, like, no 2D, like, hardly any 2D offerings. And so it was just – it was really annoying to me. So I was just like – I uh, like, I scrapped the plans to see it with my friend, and I just went and saw it Sunday – by myself, um, like a chump. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but she made the adult decision, though. Yes, exactly. I did not. I did not uh, um, bend to the will of of 3D and IMAX screens. Although, I mean, it would it would have looked pretty badass in IMAX. I'm sure. Yeah, it would have. But did you see it uh, regular 2D? Yeah, 2D. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, what was your theater like? Did you have like a there was there a lot of people? Um, it was more than half full. It was nice. moderately for full. I saw like a, a matinee four p.m. showing on mm. Saturday. So nice. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. I didn't think there'd be that many people there. Nice. Where'd you guys go to eat afterwards? Uh, we we didn't. We uh, uh, Paige and I had some dinner plans. So gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I um my theater was probably a little bit over halfway full. Um, this is, I'm going to come across as like a dick when I say this, but I thought it was funny because like the people in the row in front of me, um, first of all, first of all, I went alone and like my row was like filled up. So I, I felt I had that like kind of somewhat slightly uncomfortable feeling where I'm like surrounded by strangers since mm. I was like there by myself. Cause right. usually I like to have like buffer seats and, yeah. and everything, but it just, it felt like very not awkward, but just felt I hadn't had like I hadn't experienced that in a while, um, and then also the people in the row in front of me like they were so confused about what seats they were in and like what seats their reserved <laughs> seats were, and I'm like, how like and I know I do this like every week I go see a movie almost every week and I see I see movies very frequently yeah in this in like the new age of reserved seats at at major chain theaters, but I'm like. Literally, how hard is it to figure that out? Like, they were, it was like, it was fascinating because, like, they were, they were really struggling with it. Yeah. And I'm like, it's, it's on the ticket. Like, it says it right there. Right. Like, they were confusing the seat number with the, with the theater number. Oh my God. And it was like, I, it was weird. It was like, <laughs> it's a grid system. It's not hard. Right. Jeez. Uh, all I was, and I just thought this is so inside baseball. But um, yeah, it was like watching the uh, the managers of my complex trying to figure <laughs> out their seats. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so yeah. Wait, what? I said <laughs> reference. Right. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, so yeah, 
that was the kind of experience going into it. And yeah, I guess we can kind of go into our review. Um, do you have the IMDb page pulled up? I do. Okay. Can you read the plot description courtesy of IMDb, Tiny? I would love to. And while he's pulling that up, um, of course, we're going to do a non-spoiler review and then a spoiler review. So when we switch over to spoilers, we will give you ample warning. So Tiny, plot description courtesy of IMDb, go. When the creator of a virtual reality world called the Oasis dies, he releases a video in which he challenges all Oasis users to find his Easter egg, which will give the finder his fortune. Yes, and this stars Ty Sheridan. Correct. And Olivia Cook. Yes. And... Who would be third? Was that was were those the first two billings? Yes, they were. Really? Oh, I wonder yeah. who the third billing is. Um. Oh, oh, oh my God! What is his name? Um, Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah, look yes. at you. You're on a roll. Yes, and that's all I'm going to do. Okay. Who's fourth billing. Um, Lena Waithe. Oh, okay, uh, that's H. who I was probably going to. Yeah. Pick. Um, that's a, that's kind of a fun game. We should that is, yeah. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I'm impressed. Um, I wouldn't have gotten that. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, so that is the plot description and everything. Um, Yeesh. So how did you feel about the movie, kind of in broad terms? I think maybe we should keep some of the pop culture references kind of out of the dis- out of the non spoiler discussion, just in case people want to go into it without knowing like what to expect is popping up, and then we'll right. deep- dive deeper into it in spoilers. But in broad terms, what did you think of Ready Player One? In broad terms, uh, the book was much better, so we'll see you guys later. <laughs> um, no, yeah, the, the, of course the book was better, mm-hmm. um, but that's all pretty much a given. Um, I, I ended up enjoying the movie a lot. Um, I it, it it met my expectations, but just kind of barely. Like it was okay. dangerously close to not getting there. Um, and uh, I, I just some of the, I think some of the downfalls of it or were that like there was hardly anybody famous in the movie um and anyone who was famous was barely in it Mm -hmm. um and it that that's that's such an odd thing to say because it's like who cares all that matters is the performances Mm -hmm. and um i i I think the performances were just okay so i think that kind of that kind of had a bearing on it um i think some of the, the characters weren't quite as well-rounded and there was a, a faster timeline than in the book and and stuff like that kind of kind of took away from the the charm of the story that i was used to in the book so um it was it didn't ruin the movie and i understand there's time constraints you have to worry about and it's it's harder to cram a, a big story like that in a whole universe that you have to create into a two two and a half hour movie so it's there's there's those challenges and i think i think they met the challenges pretty well i think this is probably um, probably one of the best interpretations we could have gotten of the book, and I, I'm not yes. sure how it could have been too much better. Um, so I ended up enjoying it quite a bit, uh, but not without its criticisms. I see. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, that's interesting because I actually think that I might be a little more favorable. Like, well, I I enjoyed it. I think I, I liked it a little bit more than it sounds like you did. Although I do share um a bit of your uh criticisms with it it seems like or your critiques with it mm-hmm. um yeah i i thought that it was a very interesting story i thought that the kind of world building uh like the idea of like an overpopulated world with um the uh, with this virtual reality oasis 
um, universe in it was uh, very interesting and intriguing to me. Just I, I think that the idea of of this kind of video game world that's depicted in that way is something that's actually kind of <laughs> not that far fetched. Yeah. Um, like I could see that. Like I like. Honestly, I I would love that. I mean, it would be kind of freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so so I I thought the world building was really cool. The way that it mixed in so many different um, different and unique pop culture references uh, was very interesting and and kind of kept me. It it definitely um, scratched that kind of nerdy itch that I I have when I watch movies like that. Um, However, like the, I thought that the the overall spectacle and the um, the special effects and, and the kind of the the spectacle of it, the excitement of of the story and everything, uh, is what kind of overshadowed the actual story and characterization for me. Like, um, if it wasn't as visually appealing and interesting to me, um, I would have been a little bit. Um, a little bit not distracted, but a little bit bored by the story because I wasn't as emotionally invested in the story or the characters as I would have been, or, or as I as I feel like I should have been. Um, but the really, oh, like the the really at times over the top, but in a good way, um, spectacle and action sequences they they definitely carried my attention quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, throughout it. So yeah. Uh, and then probably my biggest complaint or my biggest criticism about the movie is the the depiction of the the romance between um Parsival and mm, uh Artemis Artemis yeah yeah um i just it, it just felt kind of a little bit heavy-handed but also just kind of slapped together um like it just it just felt like I don't know. I'll talk more about that in spoilers. It just, it didn't connect with me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it kind of felt just kind of thrown in there for, for really no reason. Um, but other than that, I thought it was, I thought it was a very entertaining movie, very fun, entertaining popcorn movie. Nice. Um, and I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll still read the book and everything eventually. Um, I'm mm-hmm. definitely interested in reading it just because I feel like if that's the, I feel like the if the amount of just kind of balls to the wall action and kind of spectacle that we got in the movie and like the amount of that plus the amount of just Easter eggs and pop culture references and everything that we got in the movie, um, the sheer amount of that stuff in the movie was satisfying to me uh, to the extent that I'm very intrigued to read the book because I know that it's just going to be a, a ton more stuff in there to kind of eat up. Yes. Yeah. Um, let's see anything that stands out about the, about the movie that you want to talk about. And yeah. Uh, I mean, my favorite, my favorite part of the movie were the visuals. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was, this was industrial light and magic on full blast. Right. I mean, I, there's a, a, a race, a race scene, mm-hmm. um, sequence in the movie that is just, like I, it's it's one of those things where like you see like one frame and it's like that one frame must have taken ten hours yeah. to create, yeah. and there's fifty thousand of them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like I can't. I just it's it's one of those things where you see it, 
And it's like, you can't even wrap your brain around how difficult it must have been to make that. Right. That's how I'll explain it. And it's just stunning. Mm-hmm. There's so many moving parts and the colors jump off the screen and it's this fast paced chase. And it's just like amongst, amongst all that, there's so much detail. It's mm-hmm. just, it's just unbelievable. The visuals, um, that, that chase scene really jumped out at me. And yeah, there's kind of a, uh, like a battle scene that has a similar, mm-hmm. a similar uh, yeah, feel to it. The scale of that, the scale is just incredible. Amazing. And, like I remember back um, when uh, the the special edition DVDs for Lord of the Rings came out, mm-hmm. I watched all of it. Right, and um, th- those those were really good DVDs. The special features were f- fantastic, mm-hmm. and there was like detailed. Uh, specials on the DVDs about like how the people from, I think it was Weta who did the special effect. I don't know if they did like the vis- the uh, CGI and stuff, but right. whoever did the CGI for Lord of the Rings, talking about like the Battle of Helm's Deep and the mm-hmm. in Lord of the Rings, trying to digitally create ten thousand orcs, and how like that, you know, the de- the process and the details of that, and like it was just incredible. I was like, man, this is really impressive, and. Like this scene in this movie kind of blows that one out of the water <laughs> as far as what they achieved with mm-hmm. CGI. I think, you know, the Battle of Helm's Deep is unbelievably good and it's, I'm not trying to take anything away from that. It's a remarkable piece of filmmaking and I love it. Mm-hmm. But as far as what they achieved with CGI, like I just, again, it's just like I, I can't imagine the amount of effort it took to make that and like. Right all that effort just pours off the screen in this movie. And it was some of the best probably effects I've seen. Just, yeah. just terrific. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely agree with you there. And the fact that like Spielberg, Spielberg is not a, um, like, I mean, he, with, with movies like Jaws, he created the summer blockbuster. Like it's, it's, he is, he has left such a huge imprint in cinema and everything. And um, to have him do this movie is kind of amazing just because just in a sheer meta level, I mean, he's creating a movie that's basically a tribute to so much of what his influence, so much of the stuff that he has influenced directly in his career. I know that in, in the book, I guess there's a lot of Steven Spielberg. There's a lot of Spielberg, yeah, yeah. That he purposely like took out for the for the for the movie. Right. But um I mean the guy is I mean, he is a seasoned pro when it comes to directing these types of sequences and everything. And like you said, that that uh race scene toward the beginning of the movie is I mean, just holy crap, what a way to just bring us like like at that point it's 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 a while, like after we've gotten the plot and everything uh, started, but man, like that is just such a an amazing sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of to talk in more broad terms, because I definitely want to talk to you uh, in spoilers and more detail about the different uh, the different segments of the movie. I guess you would call them. Mm-hmm. But um, I love the variety of it. Like, yeah, from a sheer storytelling perspective, like you go from one, like the, the way the plot sets, sets itself up is like, there are some specific things that need to be done. 
and each thing that's done is very much different from the last. Yeah. And it's like, I just love the variety and the pacing of that. Like it's a two and a half hour movie and just shy of two and a half hours. And like, it didn't quite, well, at times it did kind of feel, I, I felt that quite a bit, but, um, in terms of, I didn't feel like there was any retread in terms of, uh, any of the spectacle or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and I'm also just amazed that, um, I, I really just read the, the trivia now, but, um, uh, I'm amazed at the fact that like Steven Spielberg can do this huge, massive movie, um, very big budget and everything. And then while he's waiting for ILM to, to get the special effects done, he goes and shoots the post. Right. And just like the dude, I, I, I'm just amazed by him. I'm, and he's like 70. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's, it's incredible. Has nothing to prove to anybody. Right. And makes two movies. Yep. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I felt the same way. I was like, yeah. dude, save some chicks for the rest of us. Right. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, let's see. Anything else we can cover on spoilers? What do you think of the performances? Uh, the the performances they were fine. I again, I feel like kind of a dick saying it, but there was just weren't that many famous people in the movie, right? And I feel like I don't know if it's it's not necessarily famous, but I'll say like seasoned actors. Okay, there weren't that. That's that's a that wasn't a good description. Like seasoned actors. Would you? Would I be putting words in your mouth if I said that? Are you like saying that uh the craft of acting wasn't like at the forefront of the movie? Yeah, not so much. Um um you know there's like there's like Mark Rylance was fun was great. I I loved Mark Mark, Mark Rylance. He's mm-hmm. he's a very chameleon like actor who can really go through some incredible physical and mm-hmm. uh you know effects on his voice and stuff like that. He's a very He's very Gary Oldman-ish in that respect. He's a very versatile um, actor. Something about those English actors mm-hmm. who can just dissolve into a character. He's he's one of those people, and this is this character is unlike any other character I've seen him play. Mm-hmm. It's really incredible. Um, so I loved him, but then everyone else, I could just kind of take them or leave them. I mean, they mm-hmm. were they were fine. Um, um, I don't think this it's not a spoiler, but T.J. Miller. Um, plays a character. He was also pretty right. enjoyable. I think he was uh, most of the comic relief in the movie, and he was yeah. funny. Um, I enjoyed I enjoyed him as well. But uh, yeah, just uh, just kind of kind of middle of the road stuff. I think I think part of it was the writing. Um, again, trying to cram so much into even just two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a long movie, and it's even then trying to cram all that in there is a challenge. And I think the I think a lot of the dialogue and a lot of the um, uh, chemistry and connectivity between the characters kind of kind of got a little bit lost. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's just kind of the nature of the story mm-hmm. uh, to as part of it, but also I think maybe a more talented writer or team of writers could have pulled mm-hmm. it off a little bit better. Um, yeah. 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 I, like you mentioned, the whole relationship between Artemis and Parzival mm-hmm. being forced. It really was. In the book, it's not. It's great in the book. And it's, okay. it's very, it's very relevant to the story and the, mm-hmm. the culture and the themes that Ernest Klein was trying to, you know, communicate to the audience. Mm-hmm. And it comes across great in the book. Uh, 
it, it it just didn't in the movie that was that was lost. So I agree with you. I, I I think it was it felt a little bit forced and convenient. Yeah, and and that I kind of feel like the weak point of the movie is that they didn't know how to deal with really any of the relationships in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like in the opening sequence, like when we're having um, Parsifal kind of narrate the story of like the world for us. Um, like just like the, and this could be nitpicking, but it, I think it's indicative of kind of the quality of the the writing when it comes to the characterization and the and the interpersonal relationships in the movie. Mm-hmm. But like when we get introduced to to the character of H, it's like there's probably like two or three times where Parsifal's like, "Oh, he's my best friend. He's my best friend." It's like, yeah, like we get it, dude. <laughs> cool it. Like what? Well, like you're communicating it. Like we get it. It's like he's supposed to be like his closest friend in the game like i i don't see what the point is of the redundancy of having having him repeat that over and over again um it's just like it kind of felt like that is an indicator of kind of how i wouldn't say sloppy but kind of um low effort the writing was in terms of characterization Mm -hmm. um because that you can kind of extrapolate that into the relationship with artemis and and parsival where it's just like it's because it's a guy and a girl and, and the girl is attractive that, Oh, they, and the guy is the hero of the movie. Like it's just assumed that they're going to, they're going to hook up or they're going to have a romantic entanglement and everything. And it's just like, they didn't lay enough groundwork for why they have a connection in the movie. Um, and that was, that's probably, again, that's probably my chief complaint with the movie is that, it just felt like that was just too expected and too um uh not magical for me. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and let's see. Anything else we can talk about in non spoilers? Um I don't think so. It's kind of a uh, with all the licensing and yeah. other things it's kind of hard not to talk about them. Right. Um have you read is it Armada? His, uh, I have not read Armada. Book? I'd like to though. Or his other book. Um I don't think it has any connection with Ready Player One. It's just another book that he wrote. Yeah, eventually I'd like to. I think um Will Wheaton reads it. Nice. Uh the audiobook, so I might audible that one. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um so yeah, so that's our non spoiler review of Ready Player One. We're going to dive into spoilers. Here in just a second, I'm going to play a clip from the trailer for Ready Player One. And then when we get back, we are going to be spoilers on. If you want to skip the spoilers, check the show notes and go to the timestamps for um, when we talk about Potpourri to skip over the spoilers. So, yeah, here's the trailer. Who is this Parzival and how the hell is he winning? Find him. This isn't just a game. I'm talking about actual life and death stuff. The Oasis, the world's most important economic resource. It's nothing less than a war. We're in control of the future. Welcome to the rebellion, Wade. And we are spoilers on for Ready Player One. Now, Tiny, the whole Shining sequence. Yeah. Like, holy shit, man. Yes. <laughs> is that in the book? No. Oh, really? It is not. That's so awesome. Yeah. Um, I think in the book, 
it's the second key is uh it's pat you have to play pac-man you have to beat pac-man oh. in a certain way or something like that wow i can't remember what it is something like that but uh that... yeah as soon as i saw it i was like this is clever this yeah. is clever and i loved that me i i kind of went cr- like i had just a stupid stupid grin on my face the yeah. whole time like like uh i it's just like obviously like we host tower junkies we're we're fans of stephen king um we're also fans of movies and kubrick and the mm-hmm. shining and like my brain exploded just a little bit because like i'm sitting there watching steven spielberg recreate stanley kubrick's overlook hotel from the shining mm-hmm. knowing that they like were very close friends and everything right and also the fact that that's based on a Stephen King property. Like, I'm just like, yeah, I was like, holy shit, what is going on right now? So much greatness. <laughs> it was so, it was so cool. Yeah. I was so, I was floored by that. Um, and the way that H, like, <laughs> I, I thought that that was really clever that H had never seen the movie. So <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah. Like the twins, the blood, the, the room tour 37, which yeah. I feel like the movie was kind of, like really, really uh, stretching its PG thirteen rating. Yes. With that, I was surprised at how much they actually showed, um, and how like well recreated it was. Like it, it seemed pretty true. Like the like the one thing that kind of nit like bothered me a little bit, and it's just nitpicking. Is I feel like the unless I unless I didn't see it correctly, um, the the carpet patterns was a little bit off like like it's just like the overlook hotel like in in the shining like that's a very very iconic um design and it's just like Mm it it didn't look as it didn't look like it it was a detail that they skimped on i don't know why but um but yeah just it was oh that whole sequence was like just so freaking cool yeah and i'm so glad that i wasn't spoiled on that like i had no idea Right. Um, it wasn't in the trailers or anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because like I actually, I actually had to had to had to go to the bathroom again. That, that's been happening a lot when I go to the theater. But oh. um, I went to the bathroom like right before that sequence started. Nice. And like like when I got back, it was like they were picking uh, the movie that like they were trying to figure out what movie mm-hmm. the, uh, they saw on the first day, and then uh, it said The Shining. I was like, holy, oh my god! Like in Again, I was just so floored by that whole sequence. Yes, me too. And just it was clever too. It's not yeah. like it's not like it was just a straight up reference or Easter egg. Like it, they cleverly incorporated it right. into the movie. Oh, absolutely. Um, speaking of that, did you? So did you? May have missed the line where, uh, maybe you heard it, but they they said like. Uh, Halliday kept a detailed record of every movie he ever watched. I was like, yeah, that's he did. Exactly. That's a, that was the, like the moment that I walked about that I got back. To okay. The nice. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, I don't like, what's the big deal? Like, are they, yeah, are, are they, of course he did. Who does it? Yeah, People don't do that. It? Everyone does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That jumped out of me. I was like, yeah, this, this is our kind of story. Yep. That was yeah, awesome. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, yeah, that was really cool. And um And yeah, the way that it like like you said it wasn't like just an easter egg or it just wasn't a reference for reference sake. Like it was integral to the plot obviously. Mm-hmm. And it made sense. Like like they had like the clue was a 
involved like a creator who hates his own creation. I love that they incorporated the fact that Stephen King is not a fan of Stanley Kubrick's movie. It's yeah. just like I mean that's a well a well known piece of trivia, but it's just like it's cool that that's part of the part of the movie and part of the totally the story and everything. Yeah. One of the things that I think kind of drug down the story and mm-hmm. and kind of affected my enjoyment was um uh the timeline. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it the, the in the movie the whole movie takes place over like a week maybe. Yeah. Maybe two weeks. So like in the book it's like a year and a half. Really? And it's and it's it's cool because Parzival comes from really really humble beginnings and like mm-hmm. he he has to hide his uh his VR mask and his gloves and stuff. He has to hide it in the junk pile where he okay. in the stacks where he lives and so like he's very he is a very successful avatar in the oasis mm-hmm. despite the fact that he uses a crappy a crappy uh head headset mm-hmm. and his gloves are old and outdated and they suck and he doesn't have all these all this coin and all this gear but he has this deep obsession with uh finding out who Halliday was and like he feels that way because not because he wants the fortune or he wants to control the Oasis, but because he loves the Oasis and he loves all of the pop culture and things that Halliday also loved. Like he, Mm -hmm. he, he doesn't love that stuff because it'll make him successful. He loves it for what it is. And that's, that's something that I think was kind of lost in the movie. So like, you know, if, if you think about like all the time you can put into like a video game, mm-hmm. um, like it, you play one of the final fantasy games, you know, you, you can log a hundred hours on yeah. a final fantasy game before you beat it. So Parzival did that all day. That's what he did is he he invests himself into games like that, into TV shows, into movies, into games and all kinds of stuff, all this pop culture because he he loved Halliday and he loved the Oasis and he wanted to to save the Oasis as opposed to, you know, making himself rich or whatever. It's this very this very noble desire and cause that he has and he he memorizes all this stuff because he wants to save the oasis and he likes he likes that universe that was creative he's that's that's where he's his best self kind of um and you know throughout the book he finds that you know he reality is better than the game and stuff like that and it's you know and I, i just feel like you know, all all this time he dedicates to it is kind of was kind of lost in the movie, I guess. And and you know, he eventually because he has that attitude towards the oasis, it eventually leads to success for him and you know, he's the first person to ever find one of the keys and then it takes off from there and it, it he uses that success to to, you know, gain all these accessories and make his avatar even better inside the game and I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I'm really doing it justice, but there was just this this piece of who Parzival was as, as a person that I think was really missing from he he was nowhere near as as rounded in the movie as he was in the book. I can, um, yeah, and and I mean that's kind of the uh, the 
the problem with with movie adaptations, of right? Course, anyway, yeah. But uh, and like the way that you describe that and everything, I can see that being. Um, I can see that being hinted at in the movie, like the way that he goes into the goes in kind of in secret to his little lair to to do the to do the gaming and everything. Mm-hmm. Like some of that is like I I felt like that was communicated somewhat in it, but I could see that obviously in book form it would be much much more detailed and and in uh in depth as far as yeah. characterization goes. Right. So I can see how that would be lost in. Like I said, with with most of the characterization, and everything like it kind of felt like I wasn't as attached to the character of Parsifal as as I would have been if if they had developed if they had put an emphasis on the characterization in the movie overall. Yeah. Um, and everything. Not that it was not that it was bad or that the movie itself was bad or anything. Just um, I saw it as more of a spectacle than than anything that had uh, any um. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Any um, personal connection that I could have with the characters. Gotcha. Yeah. And then the 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 two kind of integral love stories, um, again, were so much more well-rounded in the book. And, and I think the, t- the timeline is uh, critical to that because, yeah. you know, Artemis and Parzival knew each other for like six days in the movie. Right. And now they're in love. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. I wasn't a fan of that either, but no. like, you know, like I said in the book, it's, it's, it's a span of like a year and a half. And like right. Parzival was, had like this, you know, kind of classic schoolboy crush on mm. her a long time before they ever even met, which mm. is, it's kind of introduced in the, in the movie, but yeah. it's, it's laid out much better in the book. And, mm-hmm. and so it's, you know, it's, it's the boy getting the girl story. Definitely. It's, it's cliched, right. but it's the whole birthmark thing is, is so much more significant in the book. And there are all these themes uh. about how, you know, reality is flawed but because it's flawed that makes it better you know what i'm saying and Mm -hmm. there's this there's a bunch of themes about that and you know it's the you know your your true beauty shows forth in in the game because you know it's it's all this crap and it's (laughs) it's it sounds cliched but ernest klein laid it out incredibly well in the book and so many of those themes were unfortunately absent in that that mm-hmm. love story. And then of course the one between uh Halliday and I don't remember the woman's name, like Christina or something, whatever her name was. Yeah. Um it's 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 in the Kira. movie. Kira, whatever. Yeah, I, I think that was remember. like the Avatar name or something. Okay. Um but yeah, like her uh Karen in real Karen, life was her yeah. name. That's right. Um that's it's significant in the film. I'm not saying it's not, but it's the way it influences Parsifal and Artemis and the way that it yeah, works itself into the, um, into the game and into the challenge of finding the keys and the Easter egg, mm-hmm. uh, is much more satisfying in the book. I can, yeah, I can, I can definitely understand that. But again, time, right? Yeah, time two and a half hours. And, yeah, yeah. And I thought, I thought the whole shining thing, where you know that was the ultimate goal, was that's where they flipped it and kind of made it their own with the zombies dancing in the ballroom. Oh, yeah. um, that was that was pretty touching, I think. Yeah. I, actually, I thought that was relatively well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and and to kind of touch on more about the the relationship between Artemis and Parsifal, like, I mean, I kind of rolled my eye, like. Okay, first of all, the the kind of romantic subplot with them, like I don't feel like she was developed enough to to reciprocate feelings for him throughout the movie. Like 
by the end of the movie, I kind of felt like, well, it seems like she's just kind of in love with him because that's what the plot needs her to be. Right, right. Um, and it's like one of those, one of those like action movie or action oriented movies where um, the circumstances brings them together rather than having them having an actual emotional connection. Yeah, like um, like it reminds me of like Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves and Speed. Yeah, and uh, and like I, I like that in Speed Two Cruise Control, <laughs> uh, they write out Keanu Reeves by having Sandra Bullock. I think I think she refers to him as like refers to it as being like, yeah, we just you know kind of fell in love because of we were in this uh, terrible situation together, and then after it ended, it's just like, all right, well, we're, that, we have nothing in common. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's kind of the what I felt like with. Uh, was present a little bit here is that that's the type of relationship arc in the movie is that it's more necessitated by the events of the movie, bringing them together rather than any connection that they have together. Right. Um, like kind of on the, on the other hand of that, when he tells her that he loves her, first of all, I kind of rolled my eyes cause I was like, come on, <laughs> buddy, you just met her. Yeah. <laughs> like, you like cool it, you know? Right. Um, and then on the other hand, it's like I, I like that her – I love her just complete takedown of that, like saying like, no, you don't love me. You don't know me. You love this uh, artificial creation of me and uh, kind of does the classic like you love the idea of me right? kind of thing. But And I, I like that that was at least incorporated into the plot where that was, the, that was a thing that was – you know, it wasn't like a simple – a simple love story with them. It was more like there was pushback on that, but like for as interesting as that element of the story was, uh, for them or for me, it didn't have much follow through toward the end. Mm, It was just more of a standard romantic subplot in the movie. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so the car race was really cool. Um, that battle sequence at the end, holy crap, man, that was awesome. Like, Man, just so so cool. Yeah. Um, and I loved all the references and stuff. Like yes. I, I just loved all the like there were the Spartans from Halo. Also, to kind of go back before we go into talking talking about that and everything, um, the uh, the Zemeckis cube. Yeah. Uh, I thought that that was really clever. That was it really was. cool. Um, because yeah. obviously I love 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 Back to the Future, and I loved seeing the DeLorean in the movie so much. Absolutely. Um. Very cool stuff. Yeah. Um, what were some, aside from The Shining, what was your, one of your favorite Easter eggs and um, references? There's, uh, speaking of the Zemeckis cube, there was uh, in H's uh, lair or shop or wherever, um, where they're kind of hanging out at one point, mm-hmm. there's a, uh, um, dang, what's his name? Uh, the, the, Black bus boy from Back to the Future who becomes the mayor. Oh, Goldie Wilson, yeah. Goldie, there's a Goldie Wilson for mayor poster just hanging up. And yeah, was, that's right. And I saw that. I was like, oh, that's, that's that was cool. Yeah. I, I forgot about that. That was right. that was a cool little Easter egg. Uh, during the and then during the big battle at the end, um, I think it's Shito or no Hi- Show. Yeah, either Show or Haito. Um, Daito. 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 Yeah. Japan um, uh, has the um, uh, any monster you want for two minutes thing, mm-hmm. and he, I, I I know that 
the character, the monster, quote unquote, he turned into mm-hmm. was a reference of something. I didn't. I don't know that reference. Right. Um, I think it was a Japanese property, maybe the, yeah. uh, a video game or something. I I, I don't wanna, know at all. I want to say I know what the title is, but I don't want to make an ass of myself. But what I loved is he flew in on uh, Serenity from Firefly. I I thought yeah. that I caught that, and I, I wow, it was awesome. Crap! I yeah, I I for, completely forgot that I that I noticed that. <laughs> like, yeah. I, it was one of those things where it was kind of a blink and you miss it thing, and like I saw it and i was like is that serenity oh that was yeah. Godzilla. I, right then just left from my mind that is amazing yes um uh and then there's one one reference i wanted to bring up was chucky mm-hmm. uh which I, th- I thought was fun it was right. great but like i know that it's you like so like chucky comes in and then there's this line and it's like the one f-bomb you get for mm-hmm. a pg-13 movie and it's like I understand that you can have one yeah. in a PG-13 movie, but do you have to have one? You don't have to put an F-bomb in the movie. Mm-hmm. And this is like one of the most egregious examples, I think, of throwing an F-bomb in a movie just because you can. Mm-hmm. The, the, I just think it added absolutely nothing to this movie. And it it kind of ruined the line, I think, because... I mean, there there were a lot of kids actually in the oh, theater really? that I was at, and I was like, and wow. like, I I'm not like super sensitive to that. I curse around mm-hmm. children a lot, around <laughs> my nieces more than I should. That's, um, that's awesome. It is. <laughs> I um, love that we now have that recorded. I curse around children a lot. I do. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my downfalls. <laughs> no, but like I I I'm not you know super weary of it. Like, oh, I'm going to ruin this kid because I said fuck around it. Like, right. no, I don't I don't think that, but. Just it's just an awkward situation, and like there are plenty of scenarios where an f bomb is a good thing, and mm-hmm. I, I appreciate good cursing or well, you know, cursing used for a proper effect in a in a right. given dynamic. And this one just I don't I just think it was dumb. Mm-hmm. There's like no other cursing in the movie. There's no other. There's no like assholes or shits mm-hmm. or it's just it was just so out of place, and I. I didn't care for it. Yeah, I, you know, I I got a kick out of the out of the line. Um, did you? I, okay. I did. I I enjoyed it just because just because it wasn't expected and uh, and it was it like I don't know. It was it was fun. It was yeah. Um, the situation was funny, and I like yeah. I liked the Chucky thing. I thought it was great. Yeah, but. Just, but you know, now that we're talking about it and I'm I'm thinking more about it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if when I go back and and watch it it will uh um it'll kind of have a negative effect for me. Yeah. And uh and yeah, and like like you said about you know, you get one F word in the in a PG thirteen movie and stuff, and like that reminds me of like like the social network. Mm-hmm. Um they there's a line where one of the Winklevosses, one of, one of the Winklevi, uh, <laughs> say, "Let's get the let's get the freaking nerd." Yeah, but they clearly like overdubbed freaking, uh, overdubbed, um, the word freaking over him saying fucking. Right. Um, and I think it's specifically because later in the movie, um, when Eduardo Saverin is kind of yelling at him, uh, yelling at um. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, he's like, and you're fuck you flip flops. Yeah. Um, it's like, like they, they had to use that. And like, like you get one F word in a PG 13 movie and like that, that was theirs. And, um, but it didn't detract from the movie. Cause like that, uh, 
is totally appropriate. Right. Like, it's like the movie is a like it fits the movie and everything. When you have like a movie that has a bunch of video game characters having like this it like this fun adventure action Willy Wonka esque story. <laughs> yeah. And then suddenly you get a Chucky doll and then someone saying, It's fucking Chucky. Right. It kinda I don't know. I could see it leaving leaving a sour taste in people's minds. Yeah. That's how I reacted to it anyways. Yeah. Um yeah, and let's see. Um what else is there to talk about about this movie? Mm. So I noticed that the character Finale, um who is an alum of Black Mirror, uh the actress Hannah uh John Kamen. She was actually in two episodes of Black Mirror. She um, was in uh, 15 Million Merits as the singer that was uh, at, like the she, – she's kind of just in the background. She's Her name is Selma uh, Telsey. Tels, Telsey? Um, mm-hmm. She is uh, – she's kind of the, the celebrity and everything. And then she also appeared in um, – I think it was uh, – what was it? Um – Oh, ironically, uh, playtest. Okay. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, what did you think of that character? Because um, she's kind of like an. Oh, we didn't talk about Ben Mendelsohn. No, not no. really. Yeah. Um, so first, what did you think of her character as kind of the enforcer of his of his group? And what did you think of his the villain character? Uh, she was kind of shoehorned into the movie. I think um, just a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know if her character was in the book. Uh, according to trivia, no. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, very very much an unnecessary character, I think. I, I don't know if... I think it's because, um, like, in the real world, like, uh, Sorrento, is that his name? Ben, yeah. Ben Mendelsohn's character mm-hmm. is not very physical. He's just very, like... Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's a businessman. He's a suit. He's not a he's not an action. Right. He doesn't take action, so he has to have a henchman. Mm-hmm. And so that's where she comes in. And so she's just very shoehorned into the movie, I think. Um you know, because in the in the Oasis, Sorrento has a pretty menacing avatar and like he's he takes action. He does mm-hmm. the Mecha Godzilla thing at the end and that's awesome. Um so I think she was just kinda shoehorned in the movie. I didn't I didn't have much much uh thought about her character yeah it, i was surprised to find out that she wasn't in the book because she kind of strikes me as a character that is she kind of she's just in the movie and it kind of seems like there's a little bit that there should be a little bit more to the character <laughs> like i got the yeah. impression that she was a character from the books that they didn't have enough time to develop in the movie um and it's just surprising that she just wasn't yeah wasn't in the book at all like it's kind of odd like what's the point of having that but, yeah yeah uh, so what did you think of ben mendelson and is it just me or did it seem like they kind of de-aged him a little bit yeah he did seem a little bit younger or younger at heart i don't know yeah um, like his face seemed a little less wrinkly yeah <laughs> um, i guess maybe it's because you know in like uh the show bloodline mm-hmm. he's like depicted it like he's kind of a rougher on the edges character yeah but yeah yeah he was much more clean cut in this and it was a little out of turn for him or what we've seen him in i guess well i guess not because in rogue one and in um 
Dark Knight Rises, he's kind of a, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, villainous, vil- villainy. Villainous, but also kind of clean cut. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's like wearing a suit the whole time. And right. He, I don't know. A military officer in mm-hmm. Rogue One. So. Well, you know, he was, he was also. Uh, um, Place Beyond the Pines. He was kind of a. Oh, yeah. Kind of a hillbilly-ish, I guess, or that's right, white yeah. trashy sort of, if you mm-hmm. will. But anyways, yeah. he, um, was, he was definitely choking on his aspirations, though. Yeah, um, <laughs> nice. Rogue One, anyway. Very good. Um, Darth Vader pun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, Ben Mendelsohn's always enjoyable. I think his character was also a little one-dimensional, not not that interesting, really. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I do think he had some characteristics that were unique and kind of stood out. Like the fact that he's not, he he's just not into this whole pop culture praise thing. And mm-hmm. he, you know, he's only in it for the, uh, for the glory and the financial success and all that stuff. Uh, I think that was unique to the story because everyone else is the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he stands out for that reason. But uh, Ben Mendelsohn's always enjoyable. Um, he is just kind of a one dimensional character. Not that, uh, not super interesting, but necessary. You gotta, you gotta have your villain. You know, if there's no, if there's no IOI for the rest of the world to go up against in the Oasis, I think it makes it a little less interesting. You know, it's you need, you kind of need the bad guy there. Yeah, in in my opinion, um, I yeah, I agree. Like as a character, Ben Mendelsohn's character wasn't like he was. I would equate him with like. um one of the lesser like Marvel villains, like mm-hmm. he's yeah. just there to kind of propel the plot and propel the heroes into doing their hero thing. Right. Um, but the idea of IOI existing and like, like the whole idea of, or the motivation of the character and of the company to compete and mm-hmm. get control of the Oasis that I found really intriguing and very, yeah. uh, very interesting. So even though the character himself wasn't, that interesting or, or uh, three dimensional. I thought that the actual purpose behind the character and behind the organization, uh, was, was made up for the shortcomings of the character. For yeah, him. totally. Uh, it's, it is a fascinating aspect of the story that in a, that a, like an entire multi-million or probably multi-billion dollar company springs mm-hmm. up with the intent of taking over another company. Like that's their whole goal. Yeah. It's to just take over another company and that's what they work towards. It's kind of fascinating. It's, it's, it's a, it, the whole story itself is just very fascinating, but that's a, a very interesting aspect of the story that, you know, how, that's how weird the economy is in 2045. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, real quick there. Okay. So I, um, IMDb, obviously they have their trivia section and everything. Um, they, that that's mostly I th- believe it's all like user input stuff, mm-hmm. um, and like sometimes it has just really stupid, like really loose connections that are made for trivia. Yeah, and I read one that was uh, uh, Ty Sheridan spends a considerable amount of time in this movie with a with a, a visor on his face. He appeared as Cyclops in X Men <laughs> Apocalypse. It's like, oh my god, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> That's not interesting at all. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, what the hell? Yeah. So, I just stuff like that's it's funny. 
Mm. Um, but yeah, let's see. Is there anything else we're forgetting? Simon uh, Pegg. Simon Pegg, with yeah. With an American accent. Totes. Kind of weird, but, yeah. but I, I dug it. Um, and I kind of felt like the ending with them in the van and... Um, there was a few like not false endings, but it was just like interruptions of their making out and stuff. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was like it reminded me a little bit of like like Return of the King, where you get a bunch of false endings, right? Um, but on a very smaller scale. Um, how'd you feel about the ending of the story and how it, how it wrapped up? Um, yeah, the whole part in the van was a little um, like they were trying a little too hard, I think, mm-hmm. uh, to make that funny came across clunky it was very clunky absolutely so i'm not sure that i don't think that really worked all that well um but you know it's i I like the togetherness of it the fact Mm -hmm. that they you know they split the ownership of the company five ways and stuff like that and they they close it on tuesdays and thursdays Mm -hmm. i can't remember if that's in the book or not to be frank um but yeah like that's that's all relatively touching and you know it's a nice happy ending Mm mm-hmm yeah, I, I I liked how it was resolved and everything, mm-hmm. um, and I did like the incorporation of it. You know, being closed Tuesdays and Thursdays, that was cool. Right. Um, yeah. Other than that, I just yeah. I mean, it was it was very good. Will it make your top ten? No, no. I, I it may. I was gonna say it might be an honorable mention, but honestly, I don't. I don't think it will. Interesting. Yeah. Will you want to buy it on Blu-ray? Uh, I don't. I definitely want to see it again. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll buy it though. I don't know if it's going to make my collection. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I. You know, I could see myself buying it digitally. Okay. Um. Yeah. Um. Because it's. I mean, it was entertaining enough that I, I would want to see it again. Um. If only for the shining sequence. Um. Because mm-hmm. that was just really cool. But yeah. Overall, I. I mean, I enjoyed it. It makes me want to check out the book. Um. Even with its shortcomings, I was still very much entertained by it, and just the sheer spectacle of it was was uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, I'd give it uh, like three out of five stars. Nice. Yeah. I think I gave it three and a half. Okay. Plus a like. Gotcha. Yep. Uh, so yeah, so that's our review of Ready Player One. Uh, let us know what you thought of the movie. You can tweet us at Obsessive Viewer at Obsessive Tiny, or you know, go to the Facebook group at facebook.com slash the Obsessive Viewer. And, uh, you know, join the group and join the discussion, <laughs> as lame as it sounds. Also, become a Patreon uh, subscriber at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. And we are going to wrap up this episode with a potpourri section, which uh, potpourri is the section of the podcast where we talk about uh, anything we've watched lately, looking forward to, anything we want, as long as it smells good. And uh, before I get us kicked off and everything, I do want to mention that our Patreon subscriber, Robert, uh, sent me an email saying that, since we've been kind of lacking with, with releasing episodes recently, he went back and is listening to the podcast from the beginning. Oh, poor guy. I know. Like I, like I said, uh, a couple things. One, there goes our Patreon subscriber. Right. <laughs> um, I was like, Oh God, those are the cringe years of the podcast. Yeah. Um, but it was funny cause he did say one thing that made me laugh because I, I'm, I know I've mentioned it before, but in my, my job, I'm, I work in a call center and I mean, sometimes people confuse my, like, it doesn't happen that often hmm. anymore, but like, there's a string of time where people were like, like, they would call me ma'am because 
for some reason they would think that <laughs> I sounded like a woman. Yeah. They would forget that they were talking to a man. But it's funny because Robert said that he was listening to uh, some of the older episodes and he said, uh, uh, let's see, uh, it's interesting here from start. Listen, your voice sounded a little deeper back then <laughs> than it does now. <laughs> it's funny because, uh, yeah, I explained to him that I think part of that was because I was living uh, with my parents, my sister, her kids, three dogs in a very small place. And it's like, that's like a Petri dish of germs. So I constantly had... Yeah. Like a sore throat and stuffed up nose and stuff. Right. And also, I think there was a significant black mold problem there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's funny because, like, after I moved here, it's like, oh, I'm all good. Right. I just am lazy. But anyway, um, yeah, so thank you, Robert, for listening to the episodes. But he did also send – I didn't actually get a chance to read this yet. Um, He sent an email. I'm just going to go ahead and read this. Uh, let's see. Hang on, let me find it. Sorry, 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 sorry. Where is it? Oh, here we go. Um, he said... Okay, so I'm actually... This is actually the first time I'm reading this because I, I saw it and I... Uh, uh, when, uh, I, was, I had to get to work, so... Um, he was referencing one of our early episodes, like episode five, uh, when we had our first contest. Do you remember that, Tiny? Oh, God, I don't. Yeah, um, our memorable theater experiences contest. Oh, yeah, didn't Pat win it? Pat won, yeah, (laughs) because he was like one of the only people that was listening to the podcast. Yeah, right. So, (laughs) why did we do a contest? I don't know. We just, like, this was a month after we started the freaking thing. (laughs) Um, Good God. We were so young. Yep, yep. So, anyway, Robert said... Uh, is it too late to enter the memorable theater experiences <laughs> contest? <laughs> um, uh, he said, I wish I found your podcast at the start of it. Better late than never. I thought I would like, I would still share some of my memorable theater viewings. Um, and so I'll, I'll go ahead and read what he put. Um, like Tiny, I remember my dad taking me to see Lion King and it blew my mind. Also gave me a fear of losing my dad because I was like four or five. Mm. Still one of my favorite movies. Like you, I remember my dad also taking me to Jurassic Park and that was, that also blew my mind. Also, my dad fell asleep halfway for a little bit somehow. <laughs> I remember him taking me to Space Jam because I was a huge MJ fan. Uh, great time. Another one is my mom's surprise taking us to Men in Black. Never heard of it, so saw it blind. That's awesome. Nice. Uh, really enjoyed that movie. Last one, because I can go on forever, probably. I remember my brother, best friend, and I went to a midnight showing of Inception, an IMAX, first IMAX movie he'd seen. Wow. Mind Grenade. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely one of my favorite movies. Uh, sorry you had to deal with dumb kids during that movie. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God, that was terrible. Yeah. Uh, for bad experiences, mostly every time a baby is forcefully brought by their parents, the most notable was during The Force Awakens. Oh, my God. No way. Yeah. Oh. And he said, uh, th- thank God it was a rewatch because it was during... I, I won't say this because it's a spoiler, even though everyone's seen it, but during a specific scene in The Force Awakens. Okay. A baby started crying. Someone in the row in front of me turned and said, Jesus, you couldn't you couldn't have found a babysitter. <laughs> the father got up and took the baby out, and the mother leaned in and whispered something about all... But all I heard was the guy yell, get the fuck out of my face. Wow. Damn. Uh, some guys had to defuse the situation. I wouldn't have 
uh, done what the guy did, but I totally felt his frustration. If I didn't have a babysitter, then I'm not going, period. Plus, I don't think the loud noises are good for an infant. That's exactly what I think. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. Like, I get, you know, you like, you know, going to the movies and stuff, and right. maybe you need a night out. But also, like, Redbox. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it's just, it's, I don't understand that, but I'm not a parent, so... I don't know. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, thank you, Robert, for suffering through our older episodes. And, uh, and yeah, uh, definitely keep the emails coming because uh, uh, I love hearing from, from you. And uh, let's see. So, yeah, uh, to go into potpourri, um, I'm going to bring up one thing or I'm going to bring up two things. You're going to bring up one thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I'm going to get this kicked off. Um, Tiny. Yeah. The reason I didn't get to see... Ready Player One with you and Matt was because I had plans to see A Quiet Place. Right. And um, as much as I love hanging out with you and Matt and Draco, A Quiet Place was so freaking good. Nice. <laughs> um, for those who don't know, um, A Quiet Place is John Krasinski's uh, movie where he directed it, stars in it, uh, co-wrote it, and uh, stars in it with his wife, Emily Blunt, and some kids. And it is a horror movie set during um, kind of a post-apocalyptic kind of setting where the world has been decimated by these creatures that um, find you based on sound. So you cannot make any noise. And holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, this movie is so immersive um, because it relies on obviously like – the entire movie is like they, it is it is a vacuum of of silence until something happens which which causes mayhem to break out so the absence of noise draws you in so deep into the movie hmm. that when shit happens like shit happens and you are like so hooked on it um and one of the most fascinating things is that um I would recommend, like I, I had uh, been talking to Andreco, um after after I saw that saw the movie. We we're kind of talking about uh, a quiet place and about Ready Player One and everything. And um, he said that he wanted to see a quiet place, but he said that he's probably going to wait for wait for to watch it at home because uh, you know they they have a kid and everything. Right. So, like I said, like uh, you know, if you can swing the logistics. I would recommend seeing it in a theater. Nice. And I would recommend seeing it to, like, I would recommend to everyone that can see it in a theater that's like a packed house Hmm. because it is so interesting and a little bit unsettling to see the movie with, like, a theater filled with people. And, but, like, like, obviously everyone loves when a theater full of people is dead, dead silent. But to have them be so dead silent while the screen and the movie is actually silent as well mm. is like that just really brings you into the movie. Yeah. Um, and I said this on Letterboxd, but um, like the the way that the movie utilizes sound and utilizes the vacuum of sound um, in some very interesting ways. Like one of the one of the child actors is. Um, one of she's deaf in the movie, and I mm. believe that they actually cast an actual deaf child. Wow. Um, yeah, but the way that they there's there's something that they do a technique that they do for the sound in the movie that is very much like just really really immersive 
for you, uh, for the audience. And I said this on Letterboxd, but this movie, A Quiet Place, is like I was more more wrapped up into the movie. Like it, the the way that the movie utilizes um, silence and uh, its its own little vacuum um, is more immersive than any like IMAX 3D movie that I would have any any overpriced 3D movie ticket yeah. I would have bought. Wow! Um, just very cool, very inventive. The plot is very clever, um, and uh, and just uh, it's so suspenseful and so so damn good. Nice. Yeah. Um, that makes me want to see it really yeah, bad. I, I highly recommend it. Nice. If you want to, I mean, I would go see it again. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So just just throwing it out there, Tiny. Yeah. Since since I didn't get to go see Ready Player One with you. I can, that, totally. And go see. That's, that, that intrigues me, though, because I think of um, moments in cin- or like movies that I love where mm-hmm. the absence of sound is much, or like the absence of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Is so much more superior to any superfluous thing you could have your character say or yeah. unnecessary music. Just let the scene speak for. Like I think of like No Country for Old Men. Oh yeah, like almost no music in that movie, mm-hmm. and you know the intense action is bracketed so well by the lack of ridiculous dialogue or one-liners mm-hmm. or anything like that. So that I, I I can understand what you're saying where the how the the sound or lack thereof yeah. can be so critical. Kind of, kind of, uh, yeah, and and kind of like um, uh, mother, uh, mother, yeah, Anofsky's movie. Another good example of that, yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, so that's that's a quiet place. Uh, definitely check it out. It's so good. Like, nice. I I love that we're getting these. Like last year, uh, I mean, it's an easy comparison to make, but like last year we got Get Out, which was an, a phenomenal movie, and then now we've got another horror movie. Directed by someone who's known for his comedic acting, right? Um, that is that is a success and just really well well done. Nice, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's my first potpourri. Tiny, uh, what do you have for us? Uh, I wanted to talk about Murder on the Orient Express. Murder, murder, <laughs> the remake from 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, the the movie wasn't on my radar that much. I've never seen right. the original. And is it based on a book? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, uh, yeah. it's based on Ag- Agatha, uh, Agatha. That's Christie's right, Agatha novel. Christie's novel. Yeah, that's it's right. It's one of her Horatio Poirier. Hercule Poirot. Her- uh, Hercule Poirot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. He's uh, f- uh, French Sherlock- French Sherlock Holmes. Oh yeah. Sure. That's what he is. I mean, it's is right. very much a Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say it's not good. Okay. Um, so the this was a, I mean, I have no reference for the original, um, mm-hmm. but this was a cool remake. Um, nice. Very visually impressive. I loved all the, uh, you know, I think they filmed, either they got a train and filmed on a train or they recreated a train and they recreated it really well. Uh, the sets were impressive. Nice. Great costume and makeup work. Um, all that was very visually impressive. Uh, but what stood out the most to me in the movie was uh, the performances. Mm-hmm. Um, most notably, I loved Willem Dafoe. Um, Judy Dench is just <sighs> magnetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really happy to say Daisy Ridley couldn't ke- could not take my eyes off her. Nice. Terrific performance. Very um, nice. Josh Gad, who had this 
such a fun start to his career where he played all these goofy comedic mm-hmm. roles and now he's getting these really meaty dramatic roles and he's nailing and just knocking it out of the park. Um, nice. Just incredible performances. Mm-hmm. Um, I always love Johnny Depp. Uh, Kenneth Branagh is, I, I've never, I've, I've, I heard him on NPR once and he's a super intelligent guy who's just committed to like the classics. I think he runs, a theater or something like that, or he's the head of some kind of theater company. Mm -hmm. And he's always like talking about Shakespeare and all this stuff. And like, you know, involved in all these productions, just 24 seven, the guy, like, it feels like he never stops, but Mm -hmm. I I don't know a lot about him, but anytime I see him in like anything, I feel like he's one of those people where he could enter a crowded room and everybody would just shut up and look at him. Yeah. Cause he's just, he, he just has like, he's like a commanding presence Mm -hmm. and he's, the guy just like feels like a legend, like one of those people, nice. like like Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he just just shut up and let him do his thing. Like, how do you direct Robert De Niro? Right. Like, how do you direct Kenneth Branagh? And it's you don't. He directs himself. He directed this movie. I mean, he's right. The guy's <laughs> he just he just has that presence to him, and mm-hmm. uh, that's on full display. You know, he's he's perfect for a, a Poirot type character mm-hmm. um, who's you know almost. He's in every scene, and he's the central character. It's perfect nice. for a guy like Kenneth Branagh. Um, How do you feel about the mystery of it? Like, is it is it an, engage, an engaging mystery? It really is, and yeah. I, I I I'm not very good at predicting what's going to happen in movies. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really not good at that. You'd think I'd be better at it, given that I'm a movie buff and stuff. But right. I'm I'm just not good at it. Um, and I had no I had no clue whatsoever what was going to happen in this mm-hmm. movie. I was like, I, I have no idea where this is going. I have no idea who killed this guy. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm as much along for the ride as everyone else is. Nice. Um, and it's it it's a very unique story. I the way everything turned out, I was like, wow, that's that's an incredible idea for a story. It's nice. very ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I liked it. I thought it was a great movie. I, again, the original could be way better. The, mm-hmm. the Agatha Christie's book might be way better. I have no idea, but this was fun. I, I enjoyed this. I don't think like, I, I don't know that this was necessarily just some asshole producer somewhere like, Oh, let's take a classic and remake it and get some money in our pockets. Like, I don't think it was, mm-hmm. I don't think that was necessarily the motivation here. I think, I think someone possibly Kenneth Branagh just had, uh, you know, a, a different vision and and their own take on this classic story and wanted to express it and that's how this movie got made okay and I, I i liked it i thought it was really fun um Thanks. and again there's just so many just classic uh uh titans of the acting industry judy mm-hmm. dench and johnny depp and willem dafoe kenneth Branagh, and they're all just at the top of their game um and some some young faces that mm-hmm we're not too familiar with like Daisy Ridley uh, and and Josh Gad who completely kept up with these people and, and really impressed, impressed me personally. I'm glad to say that I can look forward to whatever Josh Gad and Daisy Ridley do in the future because they were both fantastic. Um, Yeah. Great performances. Cool story. Beautiful movie. Just nice. Incredibly incredible setting, you know, setting a whole story on a train. It's just Mm -hmm. cool idea. I, I, I really liked it. I liked it a lot. Sweet. Yeah. I'll have to uh, check it out. And I just thought of a, of another thing and I want to bring up for potpourri. So okay. this will be very brief and then I'll go into my last potpourri and then we'll call it a night. Okay. Um, so really quickly, um, 
I don't know if you guys are aware, but I've been watching a lot of ER. <laughs> um, <laughs> to ER is human. Yeah, to ER is human. <laughs> God, I wish that could be a thing. I know, I know. Ugh. God damn it. Anyway, <laughs> so I've mentioned, I don't, I think that I may have mentioned it at some point in the podcast. I think maybe when we did, I think we did a Halloween on TV episode or, uh, I don't know if we did that. I think, I think at some point I referenced this episode of ER, like way in the past. It's the one episode of ER that I connect with ER. Like my nostalgia of it is like, oh, I remember this one thing. So in like hmm. February of 2000. They aired an episode, or I think it might have been 2001. They aired an episode where, spoiler alert for something that's like 17 years old, but um, <laughs> there's an episode where um, at the end of the episode, um, Dr. Carter gets stabbed, and then he collapses and sees the his med student bleeding out on the other side of the room because um, this deranged um, um, schizophrenic character you know, stab them. Okay. Um, I remember so vividly that night seeing that episode, like watching it while my parents were watching it and, uh, just being kind of not necessarily traumatized by it, but just like blown away by it because I did not expect it to happen. Mm -hmm. I was just shocked. And like, I remember vividly like the next day, um, uh, going to school, like, uh, Actually, actually, yeah, me and my brother were going to school and like, uh, we were talking about it, um, with, with, uh, the, the um, wow, uh, it doesn't matter the name, but um, <laughs> one of his classmates was, was driving us to school. Anyway, so we were talking about it and like, I remember like thinking like, this is like a huge event in the, in the show and it was, um, and it's funny because I haven't seen that episode since 2000, 2001. Mm -hmm. um, it's been 17 years. And it's funny because I didn't know when it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen during season six. But going through the episodes, each episode, like I was like, is this the stabby episode? <laughs> and uh, then like it kind of came together in a way that I was like, oh, this is the stabby episode. <laughs> like I remembered like little elements of it. Um, but that final moment, the final moment of the episode where Carter gets stabbed and, and, and like the moment that not traumatized me, but stuck with me, the one ER moment that stuck with me for 17 years is so dated and really like, it's super like, it's super like, um, late nineties that haven't got ca caught up to the millennium yet. Okay. Um, like that depiction and it's, it's like clearly like you can't you can't show a, as much violence on network tv and that at that time mm -hmm. so like not that it not that it was poorly executed or bad like for its time like it was a monumental moment and it was effective mm -hmm. but like watching it now in the era of like of premium cable cable uh tv shows um even like like uh basic cable shows and stuff like shows that are not restricted from restricted by network TV. It's like, it's kind of, it's not funny, but it's like, it's kind of like, wow, this is so dated now. Mm -hmm. Um, the kind of, and it's, it's silly because it's like, they're trying to show like the, or they're trying to kind of get the atmosphere going for you. It kind of reminds me of 
the way that certain like slasher movies in the nineties, like teen slasher movies, like I know what you did last summer and scream how they had it. Like there would be scenes in those, in those types of movies where, uh, characters would be attacked or murdered. Like when characters are nearby, but can't hear them because there's some, um, convoluted reason for music to be playing really loud or something to drown it out. Okay. Um, so in this scene, I'll go ahead and break it down a little bit real quick. Um, Carter walks into walks into an exam room with the lights off and everything. I'll back up. Um, the it's set during Valentine's Day, and the entire ER at the like administrative desk and everything is having. Tell me if you've ever heard of this having a a uh, um, a very um, what's the word I'm looking for like uh, causing a ruckus with a huge Valentine's Day party um, in which they got a cake shaped like a heart for everyone, um, but they couldn't find the knife in the lounge because the guy took the knife. Okay. Um, but so they're playing music very loud in an ER um, because they're slow. And it's just like the reason that they have to have the music loud is so that no one can hear him, you know, right. get stabbed. It's just, it was very convoluted. It's like, why? Like, there's, there's no a strange reason. confluence of events. Exactly, it was yeah. just so bizarre, and the music is like, kind of generic, like late '90s, early 2000s, like loud, nondescript. Um, I don't want to say techno music, but like kind of like party music that I'm sure was like, I, I don't know what, I don't know what song it was exactly, but it kind of felt like a, um kind of a, a cheap way for them to just get music in the episode without paying royalty, like royalty yeah. free music. Um, it was just, it was very, it was very kind of humorous to me. Cause it's like now I, now it's 2018. Like they can do better stuff now. Yeah. Um, but it just kind of came across as kind of silly, but yeah. So anyway, having said all that, um, I'm midway through season six and I mean, like I have thought that I might just kind of, um, punch out of the show after season eight when one of the doctors dies. Um, but I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'll, I don't know how much more I'll watch of it. Okay. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, that's, that's a brief, but ended up going longer potpourri. But, um, last thing to round us out is that I've been watching, um, everything sucks on Netflix. Hmm. Which uh, was just uh, canceled by, by Netflix after one season. Are you familiar with this show? Not at all. Okay, so Everything Sucks is a, a teen dramedy uh, uh, depicting a um, a group of fresh freshmen in high school in the '90s in the town of Boring, Oregon, um, <laughs> and how they are like the AV kids, and how they kind of are. Uh, um, not at war, but they're, they conflict with the, the drama department of the high school. Okay. And so like that premise kind of seems like it's like, Oh, freaks and geeks type of show, which there's some comparisons that have been drawn to freaks and geeks, but freaks and geeks is much, much better, obviously. Okay. Um, everything sucks. Kind of, it takes a few episodes to get into it. Um, it is, kind of a little bit like try hard um <laughs> at trying to be like funny or, or trying to be something trying to be poignant a little bit okay um that and then yeah like that that's that's kind of bothersome or kind of not that great 
Um, also, some of the kid actors are, are not good. There's this one kid that's like super like spazzy and weird and like at least in the first episode like every scene he's in i'm just like i kind of want to punch this kid in the face (laughs) um because it's like he it's his acting is like he's just kind of he's like on the cusp of just breaking character and laughing okay and it's just it's it's weird but anyway he he gets a little bit better but anyway the shining moment of the episode the shining thing about the episode is the depiction of the character luke who i don't know who who plays him but he's he's really good luke and i think katie is her name they're two characters who um he kind of falls for her they're both freshmen and she is discovering that she is not attracted to men Okay. Um, so there's this, like this dynamic is like handled so real, really well. And, um, very, uh, the way the, like the, dy- the way the dynamic plays out and the way that it, the way that the characters interact with each other is so true to how that is like, or true to how it is for like, um, like freshmen or like for teenagers to, um, be, kind of exploring their feelings and everything like he kind of falls head over heels for her and like he does like all the things that like a 14 year old kid would do when he thinks he's in love with a girl that he just met yeah and it's like it's so it's it just feels kind of real like kind of realistic and and kind of raw um and then there's there's a whole subplot with the with his mom and, and the principal which is her dad but it and that's that's has its charms as well. Um, so I'm kind of, I, I still have a few episodes left, but, um, I'm kind of bummed that it didn't get renewed, but, um, yeah, at least the first season so far is pretty good. Um, another kind of standout about it is that there is a, an abundance of nineties music nice. played throughout it, which is kind of amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, there's one moment in like s- episode two or three, um, <laughs> Uh, that involves, uh, the, um, the iconic song by Oasis, uh, Wonderwall. Uh, classic. <laughs> yes. And the way that it's incorporated into the, into the show is, is really like, you'll either love the show or, or if you're not, if you're not into this, into this moment, you'll, you'll, uh, kind of, you it's just not for you. <laughs> but anyway, so that's Everything Sucks. It's on Netflix. Um, watch the first season cause there's not going to be any more. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I think that'll about do it for this episode of the obsessive viewer. Um, next week, tiny, we talked about doing, uh, the Patreon, um, episode, uh, reviewing Robert's next pick for the, for the show. Mm -hmm. And he threw an audible at me. Um, we were having a conversation and we were going to, we were going to do the devil's backbone. Okay. Yeah. Um, but he, and I don't know if you've seen this. I think, I actually think you might have seen it. Uh, he wants us to review Tron Legacy. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I'm game. Um, yeah. So that's what we'll be doing next week. Okay. Uh, we'll be reviewing, uh, Tron Legacy for Robert. And if you want us to review stuff for you, uh, pay us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. If you'd like to support the show, 
The best and easiest way is to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. More ratings and reviews means it'll be easier for people to find the show in the highly competitive film and TV podcast genre. It also provides us with valuable feedback on the show. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a one-time PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate or become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer for recurring donations with different reward tiers. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, notebooks, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can also buy other great Tee Public designs in our store, and we'll get a small commission on the sale. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. We love to hear from you guys. You can contact us by emailing podcast at obsessiveviewer.com or by tweeting us at obsessiveviewer, at obsessivetiny, and at I am Mike White. You can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer where you can take part in discussions and polls between episodes. For more podcast content, check out Anthology, Matt's solo podcast, where he's reviewing The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer and exploring other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows. You can find Anthology at anthologypod.com and anywhere podcasts are found. For book lovers, you can check out our sister site at obsessivebooknerd.com for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.